Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us. In segment three, when I'm not hosting this show, I media train athletes, coaches, executives. I'm going to give you my recap, blow by blow, of the Alex Rodriguez press conference this week. If you went onto my blog, you got a taste of my analysis, but I'm going to tell you what I would have done if I was advising Alex Rodriguez when he held his press conference this week. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com. Spring training right around the corner. There's other news in the world of baseball besides A-Rod. We will talk about that. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, last week on the show, we talked about the NBA trading deadline, and there was so much talk about how teams were going to be active because owners were losing money in their other business portfolios. Well, this week came and went, and the trading deadline just was boring. I mean, nothing really big happened. Rafer Alston was the biggest name traded, and uh, I was really disappointed. I was too, and doesn't this seems to happen every single year. I thought that this year was going to be different. You know, the hype was there, and I really thought, like you said, that owners were going to unload players due to financial situations. And yet another year goes by and nothing really major happens. Well, so the next shoe that we need to see if this drops now, because a lot of these owners couldn't unload the players with big contracts, what happens next? Don't be surprised if following this NBA season, you see a few NBA teams quietly go up for sale because these owners cannot continue to lose this kind of money in their other business portfolios and absorb these long-term contracts that they weren't able to unload this week. Tiger Woods in the news this week for good reasons. We'll share that with you coming up in headlines. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Alex Rodriguez, nine days after his sit-down with Peter Gammons from ESPN, has a press conference in Tampa, Florida, about 250 media members in attendance. It was an absolute circus. Coming up in the next segment, I'm going to give you my blow-by-blow analysis of the press conference. And because I media train people for a living, I'm going to tell you how I would have advised Alex Rodriguez and what I would have told him to do differently because I was not impressed at all with what A-Rod came up with at his press conference. Our next headline, Nathan, very good news, Tiger Woods. Coming back, he'll play in this week's WGC Accenture Match Play Tournament in Tucson. It's going to be his first appearance on a golf course in competitive play since having reconstructive ACL surgery after winning the U.S. Open last June. One of my favorite athletes to watch, Tiger Woods. The PGA Tour, the golf world, suffered. TV ratings dipped after Tiger Went on the DL. It seems like he's back now. This is great for golf. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the worst part about the PGA, not only did they not have him playing, but the media was not talking about who was playing the tournaments. And instead, we're talking about the fact that Tiger Woods was not there. So it was kind of a double black eye. And we all know that Tiger's really the only golfer to draw in the casual fan. And now he's back. So all those casual fans will be tuning in on Sunday. Right. So in addition to TV ratings, attendance at the events, Um, you know, sponsorships for these events because, let's face it, a lot of these events, they do a lot better when Tiger Woods is playing, and it's a lot easier to get sponsors to come to these events. And in this day and age when the economy is sagging, if you're Accenture, you're pretty darn happy that Tiger Woods is making a comeback at your tournament. Think about all the times this week we're going to hear the WGC Accenture tournament that Tiger Woods is returning to. That's terrific ROI or return on investment, as they call it in the event, in the business for uh, Accenture. Well, yeah, and the fact, you know, on a side note, Tiger Woods flies so low below the radar. I mean, the fact is, I didn't even know that he was having another baby. And all of a sudden, a week and a half ago, I read that he's having another son. and that, Charlie. Charlie, you know, the, the next Tiger Woods, if you will. But, you know, that just shows it, it very rarely do we get to see a look into Tiger Woods' personal life. And uh, that's kind of his whole mantra. Tiger Woods, Bill Belichick, the San Antonio Spurs. The greatest when it comes to controlling any kind of information leaking to the media. These guys and these organizations control every message, and that's why they're so successful. Uh, It'll be great to see Tiger back out on the golf course, and we'll watch for that this weekend. Our next headline, the NBA trading deadline last Thursday comes and goes, and We talked on the show last week about all these owners and teams in trouble. The Phoenix Suns and their owner, Robert Sarver. Memphis and their owner, uh, Michael Heisley. The Sacramento Kings and the Maloofs, who did make some deals this week. Uh, So many of these teams that we talked about were unsuccessful in making deals. And the two teams that I'm going to watch going forward, the closest, the Phoenix Suns and Robert Sarver, who was a billionaire before, and now his... Net worth is in the six figures instead of the seven figures. He didn't unload Shaq. He didn't unload Amari Stoudemire. He's going to have to pay luxury tax unless he makes a big move during the offseason. And then the bigger story, I think, is the New Orleans Hornets. They were able to trade Tyson Chandler. Then he didn't pass his physical. He had to go back to the Hornets. 
The Hornets in, are in dire straits financially. We talked last week about how the city of New Orleans owes them money and isn't able to make good on that money. And if they don't make good on that money, it makes the contract that the Hornets have with the arena null and void and the Hornets can leave. That's a situation I'm going to watch closely because I think the Hornets are in dire straits financially. And now they're another team that's going to pay luxury tax. Well, not only that, but think about the people in Seattle are now holding their breath. They just lost their team. And if the Hornets can move, I think that there's a decent chance that the Hornets might head back north to Seattle. Well, the only way that happens is if they get the arena situation figured out in Seattle because I don't think you're going to see an NBA team move back to Seattle unless they've got that figured out. David Stern will not allow them to move back into Key Arena. That was the problem in the first place. Our next headline also related to the NBA. This is according to the Sports Business Journal. The NBA is set to borrow $175 million on February 26th, marking one of the first league financings since the implosion of the credit markets last fall. The money, which will be available to 15 teams, supplements an existing $1.7 billion league-wide credit facility that uses the NBA's media contracts as collateral to secure loans for the clubs. The NBA surveyed its teams and 15 responded they would like to tap into the new borrowing. While the league said it is pleased to borrow in an extremely illiquid credit market, the deal came at a cost with interest rates up to 8.27%, hammering home the notion that the era of cheap money in sports is over. This is yet another bad sign for the NBA. We've talked about the NFL and how some of their teams are laying off staff, how we're seeing salary cuts. We've seen Major League Baseball. We'll talk about that with Maury Brown, about how the free agent market is dried up. It was like CC Sabathia and Mark Teixeira got their money. There's a lot of free agents out there, including Manny Ramirez, who are waiting to get their money. This is just another sign. We talk about this every week now of the sports world feeling the pinch with the economy. Well, yeah, and we've talked about the fact that lower-level teams, if you will, lacrosse leagues and such, WNBA, are now that they're going out of business altogether. Those leagues are defunct. Now you have to start to look at some of the bigger leagues, the NHL, you know, Major League Baseball. They probably won't go out of business, but it's becoming somewhat of a reality that we might lose some teams, and worst-case scenario, we might lose a league for a couple years. Or we're going to see teams sold to owners who can sustain these teams And in these cases, with the NBA teams, we're seeing 15 teams that are having to go borrow money. So, you know, again, the beat goes on and on, and uh, this is something to watch closely. But watch the Suns and their ownership situation, and watch New Orleans and see how that plays out. Our next headline, Mike Leach and Texas Tech. They've agreed on a new contract after months of contentious negotiations. The school called a news conference on Thursday evening to announce details of the contract. Leach and Texas Tech essentially agreed on the financial terms of a five-year, $12.7 million deal. Leach was prepared to keep coaching under the remaining two years of a five-year, $10 million contract. Now, Mike Leach is like the mad scientist of college football. Texas Tech was ranked as high as second last year, scored a ton of points. They're an exciting team to watch. We had their uh, athletic director, Gerald Myers, on the show late last year. But Gerald Myers and Mike Leach couldn't get on the same page with the new contract. They finally got it done this week. And I think because this was so high profile, Mike Leach basically has to stay at Texas Tech now. I mean, he wanted a new contract. They gave it to him. If he leaves a year or two down the road, 
He's going to look kind of like a greedy dude. Well, I always like to keep an eye on this just because, you know, Texas Tech came out of the woodwork, and now they have to follow it up with another big season to justify that contract extension. So, you know, good news for Texas Tech this week. Uh, Mike Leach gets a little bit more money. Um, could he go somewhere else and get even more money? That's kind of what I wanted to see. Is I wanted to see, you know, if Mike Leach went out on the open market, is there anyone this late in the, in the year uh, that would – hire him to be their coach for next year. But, uh, you know, they were able to work things out, and Mike Leach will be remaining at Texas Tech at least for one more year. Our final headline of the week, this is a sad story. Uh, The United Arab Emirates this week uh, refused to grant a visa to Sony Ericsson WTA tour player Shahar Peer for the Dubai Tennis Championships due to her Israeli citizenship. Now, the Tennis Channel immediately pulled its planned coverage of the event, and the WTA Tour boss, Larry Scott, said the tournament spot on next year's calendar is at risk because the UAE did not change their stance on this. You know, this is just another sad situation where politics enters the world of sports, and this kind of stuff shouldn't be allowed to happen. If I was the WTA Tour chair... I wouldn't even wait a week. I would just pull that event from the calendar next year and say, hey, if that's how you're going to do business, forget about it. Absolutely. And kudos to the Tennis Channel. I mean, they don't get great ratings as it is, so they need every single tournament to draw their fans in and their viewers in. And they made a statement here, and and I say hats off to them. All right, coming up next, we are going to dissect the Alex Rodriguez press conference. When I'm not hosting this show, I media train people. I give them PR counsel. And, boy, I wish I had the opportunity to work with Alex Rodriguez because I think whoever gave him PR counsel for this press conference this week, they should be ashamed of themselves. It was not very believable, and A-Rod didn't come off looking very good. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Crosslights. So when I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, what I do is I do public relations, uh, I do consulting, and I do media training. And I've worked with some big names from the world of sports. I work with executives. I work with coaches. Uh, and I feel somewhat qualified to talk about what we're going to talk about here in this segment, and that is Alex Rodriguez's performance, because that's what it was, a performance at his press conference this week in Tampa. Nathan, I know that you also do some media training, and you're from the world of PR, so uh, you know you can chime in on this 
as well. First of all, the decision to do a press conference is always a risky one because, you know, when he sat down with Peter Gammons from ESPN, that's a controlled situation. You have one person asking you questions. You can have a PR person kind of lay the ground rules for you and say what you can talk about and what you won't talk about. Um, But when you're doing a press conference and you're doing it in front of 250 people, I mean, you're basically in front of the firing squad. The only ground rule that was in effect was the PR guy for the Yankees said at the beginning of the press conference, no follow-up questions. And to me, that was interesting because if Alex Rodriguez doesn't really answer your question, then you're not able to follow it up and say, hey, Alex, you didn't answer the question. Let me ask you the question again. And the thing that was also surprising to me was that the media there in attendance didn't seem to be working as a team. So if a question went unanswered, you would think the guy next to the person who asked the question that went unanswered might follow up and say, hey, Alex, you didn't answer that question. Let me ask you again. Well, I I just think that there's so many people there. I mean, 250 media in attendance, and every single one of them has a different agenda, a different agenda for what story they're going to write, what direction they're going to go with it. And I don't think that, I mean, let's face it, media are competitive too. They're all writing the same story, and they want individuals to read their stories. So why are they going to do the guy right next to him a favor by following up his question when maybe their question is more relevant? Well, I just think... There are questions that we wanted answered, and he didn't answer very many of those questions. And, you know, one of my pet peeves when I'm media training people is don't look too scripted. Don't walk in and and look too polished. Speak from the heart. And we saw Michael Vick, before he went off to prison, wear a suit, get up and look into a camera, and apologize. And he spoke from the heart. He didn't have cue cards in front of him. He wasn't reading from a teleprompter. He didn't have a sheet of paper he was reading from. He spoke from the heart. And he said, look, I'm not a very good public speaker, but here's what I have to say. He apologized. If you want to see the video, it's on my blog, sportsbusinessradio.com. I put that video up, and I put the Alex Rodriguez press conference video up. Alex Rodriguez walks in. He's not wearing a suit. He's wearing a shirt that's tucked out. He has tennis shoes on. He looked like he just came from a day at the golf course, uh, didn't look very somber, and sits down, and the first thing he does is spends about six minutes reading from a sheet of paper and says, I'm nervous, so I'm going to read from a sheet of paper. He rarely looked up, and when you go that route, you look really insincere, and you don't look very believable. And it was almost like there was a point where – he started talking about his teammates, and you wouldn't be surprised if someone had a little thing on that piece of paper that said, try and cry here, because he was trying to cry, but nothing was coming out, and he took a sip from the, the water bottle, and it was long and dramatic, and it just wasn't working, and he went on during the press conference to not really address questions, didn't talk about being a cheater, didn't talk about, I mean, all of a sudden now he remembers that he had a cousin that was doing these performance-enhancing drugs with him, but nine days before when he talked to Peter Gammons, that story well, didn't come up. I mean, you you look for consistency of story, and whether it's Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Marion Jones, even Michael Vick at the beginning, when you see inconsistencies in the story, that's the first sign that someone's lying. And Alex Rodriguez, I guarantee you, is not telling the whole story. He is not... He, there's more to come on this story. And... What he did on 
was it Tuesday, the press conference? He basically has opened the door for the reporters to dig deeper. We find out this week who his cousin is, what his cousin's role has been, what his name was, because he wouldn't reveal his cousin's name. I mean, does he think the media is not going to dig deeper? The New York media, the tabloid media, uh, Sports Illustrator, who was already onto this story from the very beginning. Uh, I just didn't think Alex Rodriguez did a very good job at this press conference. He didn't come across as believable. Uh, he seemed very insincere. He didn't look people uh, in the eye when he was giving his statement. And he dodged a lot of the main questions. Well, and not only that, I mean, going back to what you said, I mean, media training 101 or, or learning to speak to the media 101 is consistency throughout your story. And if it, he should look back at his teammate, Andy Pettit, Jason Giambi. I mean, these guys, their story was dead on from the get-go. They admitted everything they did wrong. Their apologies were sincere. And guess what? America, we've forgiven them. We've all but forgot about Jason Giambi and Andy Pettit, and we let them move on. The fact that there's been inconsistencies now with Alex Rodriguez's story, I think is going to haunt him now for probably the next couple years to come. Even if he does fully come clean, everybody's going to look back and say, why why didn't you just tell the truth in the beginning? Totally agree with you. And the difference between A-Rod and Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Rafael Palmero, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, those guys were in the twilight of their careers. They were pretty much done when they were discovered. Alex Rodriguez has nine years left on his contract with the Yankees. He is going to be in the spotlight in New York under the brightest glare. He's going to have to live with this the rest of his career. So a lot of people say, may say to me, hey, Brian, you're criticizing A-Rod. What would you have advised him to do? All right, I'm going to give A-Rod and his PR people some Free advice here. I usually charge a lot of money for this, but I'm going to give him some free advice right here on Sports Business Radio. The first thing I would have done if I was Alex Rodriguez is I would have come out in a suit and tie. Have you ever seen Michael Jordan show up for something wearing a shirt tucked out? Uh, I think you send a message. One of the things we talk about in media training is nonverbal communication. How you look, what the backdrop is at the press conference, what the surroundings are. And to me, it just looked like a circus. It was literally under a tent. He comes out. He looked very, uh, you know, like I said, like he just got off the golf course. The first thing I would have done if I was Alex Rodriguez is I would have gotten up on the podium. I wouldn't have sat down. I would have stood up. I would have looked around the room, and I would have said to everyone, you know what? I talked to Peter Gammons nine days ago, and I want to reiterate that I made a mistake. I used performance-enhancing drugs. Here's the drug I used. Here's how I went about acquiring it, and I made a mistake. I'm probably going to have to live with this for the rest of my career, but I want to stand up in front of everyone here today and admit that I made a mistake. Um, I also would have advised him to then, you know, he introduced the father of a young man who had died of steroids, who was in attendance at the press conference. What I would have done if I was Alex Rodriguez is I would have introduced that gentleman and said, Right here today, I want to announce that I'm starting the Alex Rodriguez slash whatever the name of the young man who died foundation, and this is going to be an anti-steroid foundation. I'm going to spend the rest of my career fighting performance-enhancing drugs. And to fund this foundation, I'm going to donate the amount of money that I made during the years that I cheated, 2001 to 2003. So... Maybe it's $50 million. That's a lot of money. Maybe it's $10 million. Who knows 
but you make a big statement with the amount of money that you're donating. You say, I'm going to be the spokesperson for this organization. Then you say, I will agree to be tested from this day forward for the rest of my career. You want me to pee in a cup? You want to give me a blood test? Whatever you want to do. I made a mistake, but I won't make those mistakes anymore. And if I go out and hit 50 home runs, I want everyone to know that I'm clean from this day forward. I want to be the greatest player who ever lived And I know I'm going to spend the rest of my career trying to make up for this mistake, but I'm going to be as transparent as I can be. Now, Nathan, if he would have done that, what it would have immediately done is all 250 people in attendance would have been thrown back on their heels. Because everyone who was going to be in there as a piranha, they would have gone, holy cow, this guy admitted a mistake. He talked about the drug that he used and told how he acquired it. He has shown remorse. He's talked about what he's going to do in the future by starting this foundation. He's put his money behind this foundation, and he's invited people to test him for the rest of his career, and he's going to be transparent. That's how you get yourself out of this situation. But when you're Alex Rodriguez and his handlers, and they talk to everybody like we're all stupid, like people are going to go on from this day forward. He kept saying, I was young and dumb, and from this day forward, I want people to judge me. Just because you've moved on, Alex, doesn't mean we're going to move on. And it's not going to be that easy for us to move on because we believed in you for a long time and you lied and you cheated. So don't expect us to move on just because you are. Well, and young and dumb, I mean, come on, he's 25 years old. Young and dumb to me is like I was 16 and I and I tried steroids. 25 years old is no longer young and dumb. Not to date myself, that's three years ago for me. And I'm not young and dumb at 25. Brian, I was on the show last week, and I said, you know what? After he sat down with Peter Gammons, I said, America will forgive him. I think that not long from now we'll forget about this. He admitted he was wrong. I'm second-guessing that now based on how this press conference went. How do you think this will shape the next nine years of his career now? Are people going to be able to move on that quickly? Unless he does what I just said and were to take those steps— People are always going to doubt him. The New York media is going to crucify him. And, I mean, would these athletes like Alex Rodriguez and Roger Clemens please get off of this kick where they, like I wrote on my blog this week, they expect us to think that they were experimenting like the two guys in weird science. They just all of a sudden came across these drugs and all of a sudden go, well, let's try these things out. These are guys who have workout regimens that are militant. They know Everything that they're doing, they know what their trainers are giving them. They have strict diets. And all of a sudden, they expect us to believe that, hey, here's some cream. Let's rub it on ourselves and see if that works. Hey, here's a, here's a pill. It looks like a Tic Tac. Let's take this and see what it does. There's no thought going into this. They're just like trying something new and ingesting this. And they believe Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, they think we're going to buy this story Give me a break. I mean, we're not that stupid. We're just not that stupid. So that is like the dog ate my homework. That story doesn't work anymore. So get a new story. And I think what's going to happen, Nathan, to answer your question is, you know, when you run, the media continues to dig and dig and dig. And that's why I can almost promise you there's more to this story. And the media is going to find it out. And the fortunate thing for Alex Rodriguez is that there's not a test to detect human growth hormone because I'm not convinced and I have it on pretty good authority 
that Alex Rodriguez looked into the camera this week at the press conference and said, I've never used HGH. That's not what I'm hearing. And I don't want to get sued, so I'm not accusing him of using that. But the, the problem is, is that as uh, Mark Von Ruata said on our show last week, the Game of Shadows author and ESPN investigative reporter, the cheaters are 10 steps in front of the, the scientists and the people who are trying to catch them. So because there's no test for HGH, these guys could all be using it. And unless someone first has firsthand knowledge or sees someone being injected or taking a pill, there's no way you can prove it. So that's my free advice to Alex Rodriguez. Uh, I think he's got a lot of work to do. Scott Boris and the Yankees and the people who are advising Alex Rodriguez, you got a lot of work to do because no one's buying what A-Rod is selling. All right, coming up next, Maury Brown. He's with the bizofbaseball.com. We're going to talk about baseball things not related to Alex Rodriguez because spring training's around the corner. Ken Griffey's back in Seattle. Manny Ramirez still doesn't have a team. There's a lot of other things going on in the world of baseball. We're going to talk about those things next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, spring training is right around the corner, so it's time to bring our good friend Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com onto the show. Maury, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio this week. Brian, it's always a pleasure. So we're going A-Rod free in this segment. And one of the stories that caught my eye this week, and I'm based in the Pacific Northwest in Portland, and I've been up to my share of uh, Mariner games. Ken Griffey Jr., the kid, is returning to Seattle. And, you know, people in this part of the country pretty excited about Griffey, who, you know, he's, he's in his uh, final years or maybe even his final year. But, uh, you know, it's great to see him finish his career with the Mariners. Well, I mean, you can certainly look at this in a couple of ways. It's, you know, from a baseball perspective, you could sit there and say, well, uh, you know, in the here and now, it may not translate that well. I mean, he's certainly not the guy that left Seattle, you know, more than a, a decade ago. But it, it is one of those things to where it'll add some excitement. It'll certainly bring people to the stands. And he's got uh, incentive clauses based on, uh, you know, the number of games that he plays and, and, and attendance. So, um, you know, there, there's certainly that piece to it. It's a business move, I think, as much as anything for the Mariners, who really, you know, have had nobody but Ichiro, and they're in the midst of a, you know, a, a rebuilding process. They're the first team to lose 100 games and have a payroll in excess of $100 million. So it'll add some excitement, and it'll certainly, you know, bring back the glory days in some senses for a lot of people. 
Well, it's just good to see because he gets to finish where he started, and you know he's still the Mariners' career leader in so many categories. But then, like you said, you know this is a move that will draw some people to the ballpark to catch Griffey and, and possibly his last year. I can tell you this: I'll probably make a trip to Seattle and go try and catch a, a game with Griffey uh, just so I can say that I saw him play uh, one more time. Well, I mean, it was interesting because you know you had two you know legends involved in this process. You had. Willie Mays and you had Henry Aaron that were both trying to, you know, persuade him on which way to go. Now, they never said, you know, you should go one club or another. Certainly Henry Aaron has ties to the Braves and Willie Mays, you know, has has been related and has relationships with his father. But both of them realized that his legacy was a big part of this decision. You know, you know, Willie Mays ended his career with the Mets and Henry Aaron ended his uh, days with the, the Milwaukee Brewers. And so it's one of those things, of course, they're never remembered for that. And I think that they're thinking, and, and certainly it was with, a- or with Griffey, was, you know, let's remember what your legacy is going to be. You should end it in a place where you're most remembered and where you're going to be remembered, you know, for all time. You know, going someplace new may not be the best place for you. So it's exciting for the fans. I think he's excited. It removes some pressure off of Ichiro in some senses because he's been the one named guy there you know, in the midst of this rebuilding process. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. It'll be exciting for fans. Well, and talking about leaving the right legacy, Michael Jordan finishes his career with the Wizards, and Brett Favre finishes his career with the Jets. Not the way you really wanted to see those guys go out. So to see Griffey go out with the Mariners, I think it's the right thing for his legacy. Well, yeah, and he's got, you know, he's the career home run leader right now of active players. You know, he's got more home runs than anybody, 611. Well, he's probably the only, he's probably, I mean, I was thinking about this, and and give me your thoughts on this. I was thinking about the best home run hitters of the last 15 to 20 years. And for my money, Ken Griffey Jr. and Jim Tomei are probably at the top of that list. And for my money... I think both of them are clean. So if you removed all the people that we've seen who have used steroids over the last 15 to 20 years and you know moved only the guys who were clean up the list, I think Griffey and Tomei are at the top of the list. Well, I mean, certainly that's one way to look at it. You know, you could say, well, you know, those the other guys have been the ones that have been caught. We don't know who, you know, had been using prior and that's part of the problems with, you know, the whole steroid era bit and what's what's been going on. But, I mean, clearly he, you know, it's interesting. He, he would have been one of those guys that everybody thought was going to crush the, home, the all-time home run record. And if not for injuries, I think he certainly would have. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. He was injured last year. He went to the White Sox and wasn't, you know, terribly successful there. And that's why they released him. So, you know, it's a one-year deal. It's $2 million, which is really a fantastic deal. It's hard to imagine, you know, in this market – you know, only in this market could you see that. And this year has been really interesting with the economy coming into play. Well, and he gets to DH. Instead of if he played for the Braves, he'd probably have to play in the field. And, you know, that's a good thing for Griffey, who we all know his knees aren't the uh, the greatest. So he'll probably play some left field, but uh, he'll be DHing most of the time. <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk to you about is Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez, the biggest name left on the free agent market you know, it's no secret that the Dodgers would still like to sign Manny Ramirez. They had great success with Manny in the lineup last year on the field, but also at the box office selling the dreadlock wigs. Uh, I mean, there were so many ways that Manny pumped life into that organization because he's such a character and really maybe the biggest character the Dodgers have had since Fernando Valenzuela. So, 
this would be a good signing for them. But I also understand Frank McCord, who's been on the show several times, his stance is, look, there's no one else competing against us to sign Manny, so why should we offer him any more than a one-year deal? Well, and this is probably, you know, Scott Boris's worst nightmare. You know, he enjoys the fact that he can normally play teams off of each other, you know, either in reality or he can, you know, fabricate it in some senses and basically have teams outbid themselves. And, you know, as a credit to the Dodgers, they're not doing that. And, it's certain, you know, it's certainly a game of chicken. Somebody's going to blink at some point. Somebody is certainly going to want Manny at a certain stage, you know. I mean, he's, he is certainly a talent. Um, you know, he, what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, when he came over to the Dodgers, in the first 24 hours that he was there, they sold more regular season tickets in 24 hours than they had in any other period, you know, in the history of the franchise. So he certainly brought people to the ballpark. He threw fantastic numbers out there while he was with them. So, you know, certainly they want him. You know, there's certainly been talk about the Giants, but I think that that may have been one of those things where Boris may have been trying to get the Dodgers to bite on it and offer him the years. And strangely enough, there was a two-year deal out there, and now they've pulled back to one. So, you know, the longer that they wait, you're starting to see guys like Bobby Abreu and Pat Burrell. You're starting to see guys go out there and take deals that – you know, a year ago, you would have never seen. You know, Pat Burrell made $12 million last year. He took a two-year, $16 million deal with the Tampa Bay Rays. That was a sure indicator that the market had changed dramatically. Um, Bobby Abreu wanted a multi-year deal. He got a one-year, $5 million deal with the Angels. So the market has changed dramatically because of all the talk of the economy. And basically, you know, clubs are in bunker mentality when it comes to their player payroll right now. Every week that goes by, we see how full of garbage Scott Boris is. He tells us about A-Rod being historic. He tells us how great Andrew Jones is. Look at this guy. He signs a $500,000 minor league contract. And now he thought there was going to be a huge market for Manny, and there's not. I mean, you know, I understand he's trying to do his job. He's trying to get the most amount of money he can for his clients. But like we just discussed, if there's not a market for these players— or if they don't perform after getting these big contracts, it's bad news for Boris and for his client. Well, it is. And, I mean, I mean, you hit on two, two important points. I mean, that's the job of an agent, right? You know, it is, it is one of those things where they're trying to go ahead and garner, you know, the most that they can for their clients. You know, the problem has been that, of course, ownership has, you know, bought into it. You know, they're, they're as culpable in this as, as anybody. You know, if they don't do their due diligence and don't do their projections correctly, then, you know, in some senses they're the ones to blame. But, I mean, he's obviously been a fantastic salesman and a great agent in that sense. This year, nobody's buying it. You know, it is really one of those things, whether, you know, it is the economy. For some clubs, it's very, very real. It's the economy. If you're in a small to mid-market, it's influencing things greatly. You know, if you're in New York, it's a completely different story. Um, I just did some looking at free agency dollars that are spent. The, the Yankees are spending over 40% of the total in free agency this year. Wow. It's a fantastic number. And so this talk about things like a salary cap and whatnot, I mean, it's clearly, you know, geared toward uh, toward the Yankees right now who are spending because they have a new ballpark, because they haven't made the, the playoffs, and quite frankly because they can in the market that they're in. Staying in New York, what's the latest with the naming rights deal for the Mets' new ballpark? They have a deal with City. We obviously know that City's having lots of financial troubles, just like many of the banks around the United States. It's the largest naming rights deal in the history of sports. 20 years, $400 million. And I've read that uh, City's trying to get out of that deal. Are they going to be able to get out of that deal? 
Well, I think that the only way that they do get out of it is with the federal government standing over the top of the deal and basically dissolving it. You know, there are other, you know, banking institutions that are receiving this, what they're calling this TARP money, this federal bailout money, that have investments in naming right deals. And so, you know, you have, whether it's, you know, Chase Bank at, you know, the former Bank One ballpark where the Diamondbacks play, you know, and there are others, I believe, the PNC Bank, you know, where the Pirates play is another example. There are, you know, advertising dollars that are going to naming rights. It Certainly on the outside of it, it does not look correct. It looks, you know, very bad that you're going to have companies doling out money into these very lucrative naming rights deals when they're laying people off. They do have to continue to have ad budgets. Uh, you know, it's determining what the amount of monies are and whether it's right. Now, you do have a couple of uh, members of the House say that they definitely thought that it should be dissolved. Lately, there have been a couple others that have gone on record saying that cities should be left alone in the midst of this. But it is something that is still out there. The one thing that I've heard over and over is that it's contractually binding. In other words, you know, there may be a situation to where a city could back out of it, but finding anybody that would be able to come in and fill that void would be virtually impossible. You know, it was a very difficult deal. Whoever, you know, brokered that deal should be given a huge bonus. It was $100 million more than any other naming rights deal for a stadium um, in history. It was $100 million more than the Reliant deal, Reliant Energy's deal with the Texans. And this was before the market dropped out. So it, it would be very difficult to fill that void. There would certainly be legal repercussions. I would imagine that the Mets would definitely want to sue to get some of that money back. And maybe the city says, look, you know, we, it looks bad that we're in the midst of this. If we back out, we're going to get paying all these, you know, legal battles. We're going to pay all these legal fees to try and back out of this. We can pay the money in legal fees, or we can continue with this agreement that we made before anybody had any insight into this. That's the difficulty with it, Brian. I think that if you started to go down this road, deals that were brokered with businesses before the market dropped out, it opens up, you know, a precedent for other companies to try and back out of deals that were brokered with businesses. It has all kinds of, you know, repercussions down the line. It's a very difficult and very complex situation. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. Maury, that's all the time we have. How can people find all your tremendous work online? Well, they can certainly share our business stuff at bizofbaseball.com. We also have bizoffootball, bizofbasketball, and bizofhockey.com through the Business of Sports Network. Maury, thanks for making the time for us. Brian, it's always a pleasure. Have a good evening. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the NBA All-Star festivities took place last weekend in Phoenix. We had Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Center on on last week's show, if you remember that. And lots of people tuned in to TNT to watch Saturday night's coverage and Sunday night's coverage. 5.8 million viewers tuned into TNT's coverage of NBA All-Star Saturday night. That's up over the 5.2 million viewers the year before. The event was the most watched telecast in the 24-year history of the Saturday night festivities. How about Nate Robinson jumping over Dwight Howard, and he does it with his green Nikes on. They nicknamed him Kryptonate because Dwight Howard is obviously Superman. So uh, some good coverage there for Nike. But uh, the contest was a little too scripted for me. Uh, you could tell those two were in cahoots with Dwight Howard being a good sport and letting Nate jump over him. But then they had the phone booth. They had the 12-foot basket. These weren't things that happened on the fly. So uh, LeBron James supposedly is going to take part in next year's dunk contest. That's going to be held in the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium. So there could be anywhere from 90 to 100,000 people looking on for that one. That should be fun to watch. The All-Star Game itself on Sunday was watched by more than 7.6 million people. That's up 17% from last year. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. We've got a Facebook page. If you want to be our Facebook page friend, just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and go to our blog. Click on the link. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week. We'll talk to you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.